Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillah. Assalamu alaikum everybody. Um, welcome at a new Isa podcast episode. My name is Ibrahim Karak. I'll be uh, one of your hosts for the day, uh, together with Hajar. Hi, uh, my name is Hajar Mtiri. I'm currently pursuing a master's degree in international crimes, conflict and criminology here at Frey University. And I'm a member of Isa. And I'm happy because... Today's podcast is going to be in English, so yeah. Yes, we have an English podcast, we have an English co-host, and we have an English um, chair professor, um, chair professor Said Hamdiwi. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. How are you doing? I'm very fine, I'm very happy, and I'm pleased to be here. I would like to thank you for having me here, actually. Of course. Uh, although, as I already mentioned, I'm a little bit sick, but uh, if you are committed, you have to show up. There you go. And that's one of the drivers that have been driving me all the time in my life. Right. Be committed. And if you are committed, you have to deliver. Thank you very so much. So once again, thanks for having me here. And I hope that this uh, uh, broadcasting will be kind of an inspiring story for many people around, not only in the Netherlands, but also around the world. How you can from actually from uh, nothing, from nowhere, from below zero, get all the way down, uh, all the way up to the top. Definitely. Um, you're the first chair professor of Moroccan descent in the Netherlands. Um, you, you started with how you um, were basically at the bottom and worked your way up. Let's start there at the bottom. Let's um, talk about your upbringing. So you grew up in Morocco. Um, can you take us with us in your journey, in your story? Sure. Um Given the time constraint, I will try to summarize as much as I can. So I was born in a, in a small village called Amjou. Uh, obviously a village uh, which is part of uh, a region called Beni Said, which is part of Mador. So obviously a village in the north part of Morocco, in Reef, called Reef. It's obviously without water, without electricity, not to mention internet and whatever it is, okay? <laughs> even though the infrastructure was nothing. So I was born there and my preliminary school was in the same village and you had to walk every day two kilometers to go to the school and two kilometers to go back, right? Again, no ways, no highways, no whatever. I'm coming from relatively, you know, poor family. If you are from the north, by default, you are poor, by right. default in most of cases. I am the third one in my family, so... Uh, my two oldest brothers, uh, Muhammad and Ali, uh, uh, luckily enough, they were also good students. So I had to follow the path. Uh, so actually, before going to the primary school, my father uh, changed his opinion. I wanted me to become an imam, hmm. right? So I told uh, ourselves, I told us, you know, Muhammad, you're going to go to the school, Ali as well, but you should become to the imam. So he took me to the mosque. But one of my family members uh, was an, who was an imam, I started debating with my father. So I was telling my father, you are probably wrong. I am an imam, but my impact is minimum. Hmm. So they had a big debate between them. I had no clue what they were talking about. So in one day, uh, my aunt, so I came to me, say, Said, uh, you have to come with me. We're going to go to uh, the primary school. So okay, fine. So my father was against it because my father wants me to learn Quran na, 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 right. and become at the end of the day a big name as Imam in a mosque. Right. And how old were you? When I was uh, eight years old. Eight years old. I okay. went very late to uh, to the primary school. Right. Because my father was, you know, insisting 
the third son has to become an imam. <laughs> I need anyway, one of my boys to be an imam. Yeah, exactly. Right. So may, may father yeah. lose the game, right? So I went to the school and I started. Um, after five years, I had to move to uh, another city because there is no high schools huh, in, in, in the town, only primary schools. So which means when I was 13 years old, I have to live on my own. So which means you are separated from your parents. Mm. Uh, honestly, sometimes it's very, for me very hard to imagine how I made it. You can imagine if you have a son or a, uh, you know, or a family member who is just somebody in your family who is just 13 years old and you take him to live on his own in Rotterdam or in Utrecht. Right. Then, which means you, you have to become older, either you like it or not, you have to become mature. So we had to wake up on my own to prepare everything, for, you to do everything on your own. So you went to school at eight years old. Yes. You didn't become an imam. Then you were 13 years old and you had to live on your own. Exactly. What does your, what did your um, living environment look like? Where did you live? What? So I had to rent, uh, let's say together with other people like me. Right. We're studying at school. We have to rent a house and you get a room and we have to prepare our food. We have to do the clean, everything on our own. We are talking about actually children, if you can call it, right? Yeah. 13 right. years old, it's not. So this, sorry, like it brings the question, how, how it shaped you? How, how to like help to shape who we are to exactly. who you are today? I think uh, the main lesson is that you become a very strong person in terms of personal personality. You become very strong. You have to. You have no choice, right? Actually, one, one time I was talking to one of the sociologists, and he told me you you have the profile of ideal criminal because actually, <laughs> if you leave your family at this age, and they will put you in an environment where you don't know everybody, it's very easy to deviate from the right track. Vulnerable. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. How, how did you find the balance? It's, I, I think I was always driven by, by, by studying, driven by electronics. I remember my father had a radio at home, a radio back then in about 70s, beginning eighties, it was something very, very, very expensive. If my father leaves the, 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 the house and we're going to take the radio, try to open it, try to say what, what he's talking about, what is inside. I, I had always a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. I want to understand what's inside. So I was always in trouble with my father, actually. Right? <laughs> he didn't like that. Exactly. <laughs> Stay away from that radio. I paid a lot of money for it. And, and, and he still tell me the stories. And you, I remember you, and you damaged my radio. <laughs> he still hold that grudge. Yeah. You better get him a radio. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but anyways, when I went to the North Door, I started studying at, uh, uh, what is the name of the school? El Masira is called that. It's a kind of college. Right. Kind of so I studied this four years. And then it was one of the best. And back then if you are one of the best so you can uh choose uh which direction you're gonna go mm. so they had a direction called uh, technical studies so from all the region from nadul husima wujda fikik they select 24 uh, students. Uh, students max so i was selected one of them right so i went to wujda so that's kind of uh still a college but with more focus on technical studies so that's okay. very intense and okay. what age was this So let's say 13 plus 4, uh, 17. 17 years, years old. Okay. Yeah. 16, Before baccalaureate or That's after? exactly. You do, thir th you do three years there and you get the baccalaureate. Right. Okay? Yeah. So again, you have to live in an, what they call uh, internat or whatever they yeah. call it. So uh, then I have to get in touch with many people from Husima, Fikik, Face, all around the, the, the country, the region. It was a nice experience. Right. And, And then this is the time where it be started becoming a little bit activist, right? In the student movements and starting, you know, liking politics and stuff like this. 
Uh, so that period, that three had a large impact on my personality, starting, you know, discussing, debating, you know, becoming kind of a leader of students, uh, leadership. And so it, it's, it, you, you are just enrolled in it, right? right, so if, right, you are, right. if you have a good soft skills with people, you know how to deal with people. So you become, you know, so we trust you have to uh, talk on our behalf. Right. And then, it, uh, so I was very, very active in that period. Then I get the baccalaureate. Uh, it was also common law then. Yeah. That's the bachelor. Can you? Or um, no, no, before, before the, the uh, actually in Morocco, the baccalaureate is kind yeah. of like Fevio in, in the Netherlands. Right. It's right. a kind it's of like Fevio, it's called Fevio. So I get my Fevio degree, right. cum laude. And because I was an activist, I tried to register in any university in Morocco. Not a single one acti- mm-hmm. accepted me. So everybody said, no, no, you are too dangerous for our school. <laughs> you were on the blacklist. Exactly. <laughs> because of your involvement in a student exactly. union. Yeah. Exactly. Because any, if they're going to apply for any university, so let's say the school, the administration or the director of the school will write a report about me and send it to that university. Right. So I ended in, in Wujda, so University Mohammed Al-Awwal, Mohammed Al-Awwal, I think. Right? They said, this is the Moroccan Malcolm X, stay away from him. You exactly. don't want to met at the university. So then I, I joined what they call Ecole Superior de Technology, yeah. so High School of Technology, which is part of the University of Mohammed I in Wujda. Uh, I was still an activist. I passed the oral exam for whatever reason. Uh, and I become, I, I start studying there. And again, I like, you know, to defend the interests of people, of my right. community, etc. And after one year, they fired me. So, uh, okay, then they had no choice. Uh, there is a nice story, actually, when they had the committee. So the evaluation committee, one of the professors who was there, he was against firing me. And these guys, these guys actually... Uh, before the committee take place or the meeting took place, they told me if they're gonna fire you, I will resign. Hmm. It's, it's, this gives you an indication about what kind of people you can right. meet in your people, in your life. So his name is Night Chief actually. And then this, this will be connected to a later story uh, later on. But anyways, so the, a key, one of the key persons in my life was in, at, at the, uh, let's say college uh, level, uh, the guy who convinced me to become an activist, his name is Ali Belhash, who is now living in, in Rotterdam. I would just to give you that sometimes you need to meet some key people in your life mm. to get another direction. That's crucial in your life. So Ali Belhash convinced me to become an activist. So I became an activist. Very, no, denied. Right. I went to the university. After one year, they fired me. And they fired me because of my activities. I was a good student, I believe. Okay. But anyways, they fired me, which means I cannot study anymore in Morocco. And I had no choice either to go to the Netherlands or to France. France is much easier because we speak French. Yeah. But unfortunately, I had no family member in France to help me. So I was lucky I, had some, I have some family members in, in Amsterdam who helped me with the, the visa process and all this bureaucratic paperwork. Back then, it was much, much easier than right. today. So I came here. And actually, honestly, when I came here, I said, okay, you know what? Let me try to find a wife and get married and stable and have some quality of life. And that's it. I never realized in my life that in the Netherlands, you can have a university like Delft of Eindhoven of Erasmus. Mm -hmm. I had no clue about it. So sorry, like when you you traveled abroad, you didn't travel for a study? I did, but it was just a a game to come to the Netherlands. Okay, so it was, you didn't expect... What you're gonna do? Yeah, I like, had no choice. To enroll at uni. Yes, I am fired. I have to leave the country. I have no choice. Otherwise, within a couple of years, I would be in jail. There's no, mm. there's no alternative. So, I came to the Netherlands, to Amsterdam first. I was spent six months or seven months here. 
And then he started realizing, uh, you know, maybe it makes sense to study. So we had one time a meeting in the office. I was talking to the international office, to a lady who speaks French and we're talking French. Yeah, just, you know, you are welcome, try to do it, but you need to do an exam first in mathematics and physics. I said, fine. She told me, but you have to be first to do an exam in Dutch. Fine. So we started studying Dutch intensive course, six yeah. months. And then he passed the exam, the Dutch exam, and then he passed the exam in mathematics and physics, too easy uh, anyways. Yeah. And then he went to the university, electrical engineering. I, actually, first he did uh, informatics, and they said, mm -hmm. no, no, you're going to change to electronics to play with things. Yeah. So I moved to electrical engineering. Uh, I when I went there, and then everything was in English, all books in English, and then I have to start again learning English <laughs> on my own. Believe it or not, in the first year, I never, I would never forget that we had a book for physics in English, I had almost to translate word by word <laughs> to it understand. Start at zero. Yes. Yeah. From the scratch, word by word. So people are, you know, they are very fast. They learn, but for me, which means actually never give up. That's the key message mm. here. Never believe in yourself and never give up. So we started, I started, you know, studying the book word by word, translate. And then at certain time, the, the, the terminology will be recycling. So it becomes much easier. Right. I passed the course actually passed the first year, cum laude, which was very, very surprising. And in more than 50% of the courses, I had 10 from 10. I still don't know how I managed to do it. But <laughs> Subhanallah, so you're 13, you live on yourself, you go to school in Morocco, 17, you go to, uh, you go to university or the, the baccalaureate. Yes. Then you're kicked out for being an activist. You yeah. come to the Netherlands. You have to learn the Dutch language. You yes. do a course in six months, you learn the Dutch then language English. and then start all over again, start with English. Yes. yes. How did you succeed it? Because we have a lot of people asking us, I want to learn English or I want to learn French, but I'm not able to do it. Actually what I was doing, so I had a book, I have to read it. And I had kind of a notebook. If there's a, a team that I don't understand, I will write it down and translate it. You know, if I'm in the tram on the, on the metro, I'm, I always have this notebook, mm -hmm. reading the words. I don't lose any second, yeah? because time investment at the moment, at that moment is extremely important. So, and then at certain time, the terminology you are reading and learning, it will recycle, recycle, and you start learning. Yeah. And at the same time, because I had no steady financial, I had no financial right. support from the Dutch government, I have to work in parallel. I was doing cleaning, <laughs> illegal though, because I am not allowed to work. Yeah. So I am very thankful to a guy who employed me actually without having, you know, without being eligible to work. So that helped me a lot. Right. And I can give you one story uh, in the first year. So uh, one day, uh, together with a friend of mine, whose name is uh, Matouk Hamdoun, I know living in Belgium as an engineer. So on that day we had an exam in mathematics. Yeah. And we were called if we're going to do, they call it a big cleaning, right? Grote uh, we get a school to clean within two days, but at that day we have an exam. So we were planning to prepare for the exam, right? And we are poor students. And we we're discussing me and, and, and Matthew, we're going to do the exam or whatever the case is. I don't know what. The exam we have the retake, right? Let's do the cleaning, makes money. Because always we have the chance to do the retake. <laughs> so what so equation? We, yeah, so we, we worked the whole day very hard. At seven in the evening, we had the exam in mathematics. So we worked very hard. Yeah. We went home, take a shower, went to the exam. This is the only exam in which I scored five in mm. Delft. I will never forget that. I was really kind of dead, right? Empty. And I started to think, I mean, it's impossible. And then I did the retake exam. I scored 10. 
<laughs> this was the only exam I scored five. So, so again, it's the driver. It's 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 believing in yourself. What impact did uh, getting the five have on you at that time? What did what what went through your mind? Yeah, but I was quite convinced they would pass. I mean, because working hard, eh? physically yeah. Yeah, working, yeah. you are dead at the end of the sure. day, and then you have to use your brains. It's impossible. I mean, did it give you an extra motivation? Uh, definitely, but yeah. but even though if I kept this five, I would pass. No yeah, problem. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. I can tell you right. when I was in Delft, if I, if if they will score below eight, I become unhappy. The, the my, my mm. pass, my six was eight. There were some exams. I scored seven. I did the retake. Mm. To do that's so. Why I'm saying that? Go for the best, for the top. I remember when I joined electrical engineering. Some students were telling me, you know what? The best thing to do: don't take all the courses at the same time, five courses per quarter. Do just one or two, because otherwise you fail in all of them. I did not listen to them. So very important: be disciplined, and a discipline teach you what you should not do when you want to do it. What you should not do when you want to do it. An example, you are, uh, you had a dinner, you are, you know, in your uh, uh, room and by coincidence, you find a very nice movie. I say, oh, I like it again, watch the movie, but you were supposed to do homework. So the discipline will tell you, switch your television off, stand up, go, and do your homework as a discipline. So it's Prioritize. Key. Exactly. Given it's, priority. It's key. I, in my whole life, till today actually, I plan what to do every day. Actions that I have to do in every yeah. day. Because if you don't measure, you cannot see where you are standing. So Monday I will do this, 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 this. And I will not go to bed until I finish it. That's it's hard working. There's right. no free lunch. Right. Yeah. And I think the discipline comes from knowing what you want to do. Absolutely. So discipline is having uh, a stronger yes to what you should do Absolutely. than the pleasure that you are enjoying at the moment. And you you strictly had a planning for every day. Absolutely. And so when you see the movie and you feel like you want to see the movie, you have a stronger drive for what you should do. Absolutely. Interesting. And you don't need to be very smart. There's no need. If you work hard, you exactly. are disciplined. You have a clear strategy, a clear vision, you will right. make it. How did you go about clarifying your vision, what you wanted to do? Where did that, 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 yeah, that vision come from? So to be honest, so when I joined Delft, I started learning a little bit what is Delft, what they are doing. I thought, oh, being an engineer is very nice. So my dream was to become an engineer. I had no clue what is PhD, what is research, what, no clue at all. Right. So I started studying hard. Uh, I get my proposed cum laude, bachelor also, the majority of courses 10. And I did, I did the master. I remember when I went to my professor from the hall who passed away. Actually, first, by the way, very interesting to mention, I wanted to do avionics in my master program. And what's that? In avionics is actually uh, uh, airplanes, uh, uh, communication in the airline uh, under, under, so how to hide the communication, how to, this kind of, what they call it avionics. Everything is related more to the military and planes because military is main, actually avionics is mainly driven by military. So we had an oral exam with one of the professors. Um, and because I liked the, 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 the topic, I was reading a lot of books, which beyond the, the, the course. So I, I was reading, I liked it very much how in the past, in the World War II, how the Russians, they were actually communicating, uh, sending messages within the noise and stuff. I was liking it. So I had an oral exam with the professor and he gave me nine. And I told him, why not 10 actually? 
And the barista said, I was kind of surprised. I said, this guy should be happy with mine. But uh, <laughs> I told him I answered all the questions, by the way. Yeah. I asked more than when you, I told him, yeah, uh, but mine is, is excellent. Okay, I told him, okay, fine. I'm not happy, but I'm fine. I told him, I want to do a PhD. Yeah. Then he started understanding. Again, be yourself. Yeah. Don't be shamed. Be yourself. I told him, I want to do a PhD. I want to do research. I want to learn more because I want to see what is the secrets of this field. And he told me it would be very hard because the guy has some projects, but majority of them are some confidentiality. I was appointing what I want to do, what I want to learn. He told me, we will try, but it's very hard. If you want to do deeply in this, it's become very difficult because of the secrets, because etc. And while coming down for, uh, I think it was floor 21, I decided to switch from that field to another field. I was, I was already in the elevator. I found computer architecture group. I pushed the button. <laughs> I get out on the 10th floor and I went to the secretary. I told her, I'm looking for the boss of this department. And she took me to this professor, Van de Hoor, with whom I did my master. I told them I want to do my master of science with you. I told me, fine. I told so me, you have to send me first your uh, scores. So this was at the period that you did the bachelor, yes, right? The so bachelor. you did the bachelor, now uh, I don't know, I cum laude, the and you wanted to do the master. master. And you went to the computer architect department. You just pressed one yes. floor, computer I, 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 architecture. I wanted first to do Afunix, right? right? Right, And it is so no, I was not, no, please, I, right. I, I had dots, right? right? After the oral exam, yeah. in my way, going down from 20th right. uh, floor down, right. I changed the mind. I, I took the, because in the elevator is a list of groups. Yeah. And 10th floor was computer architecture. I pushed the button said, this, this sounds interesting. Let's go yeah. there. Let, let me talk to the That's boss. That's it. Yeah. I went there. I talked to yeah. the boss. And the boss told me, you have to send me an email with your uh, scores. Right. I sent them. And then he invited me. He told me, is this true? Or you modified mm. them? Because it was just unbelievable. It's yeah. 10, 10, 10, 10, 9. It's a very high scores. I told me, what do you want to do? I told him, I want to do research. Yeah. I told him, can you explain to me? I told him, I want to create something which does not exist. Oh. Ambitious. <laughs> yeah, ambitious. Uh, I told me I want to give you one article. Yeah. If you understand it, mm. explain it to me, you can do the master with me. Okay. I said, I'm fine. Yeah. So that was the only article in that field at the moment. Yeah. Written by Nicolai, this is a, a close friend of mine at the moment. You were used to translating word for word, so you thought no, at this, that time this it was good. Yeah, yeah. So you thought this this would be a piece of okay. cake. Fine. Come, give me the article. So I spent time and time. Actually, it was I had a room in Delft. So I read the article, I was standing in my room, I was assuming that there is an audience <laughs> in front of me right. and try to explain it and repeat right. it and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. Okay, and then they had a meeting with that professor from the hall and I explained to him the article. And he was very happy, he said, yes, you're gonna do your, your master with me. And we are talking just about the master now. Right. That professor was very tough, selective. And in my master, I started innovating. So I published the paper in, a, in an international conference in my master thesis. Right. And then the professor told me, do you want to do a PhD? I told me, yeah, of course. And then I started doing research and started you know, understanding the world. So did he give you the opportunity to do the PhD? Yes, he asked me. And he approached you? Yes, yes. So you did in my master, do you want to do a PhD? Yes, right. I want to do. Because normally it's very difficult to get. Exactly. Yeah, it it must be really impressive. And, and you said like you wanted to make things. Yes. You wanted to invent something that didn't exist. 
Exactly. And you finally did, you have your own two patents, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, exactly. Which we would have. like yeah. also to hear sure. about yeah. that. But anyway, he approached me for a yeah. PhD because if you are a professor, you would like to keep top talent student. I told him, yes. Yeah. And they told me we have to work on a problem which has no solution at the moment. It has a, sol <laughs> it has a solution, but it's extremely expensive. Yeah. I told them that's exactly what I want to do. That's what, I, yeah. That's at my the, job description. Yeah, at yeah. the same time, at the moment, Philips approached me if I'm going to join them. Mm. And he refused. I was a very poor student. Back then, PhDs were not paid like today. Mm. Yeah. But nevertheless, I chose to do a PhD. Philips was offering me money. I was saying, no, 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 I want to do a PhD. This is very important in life. Because you calculated which is going to be more uh, have impact in your career in the future exactly. and not exactly. in the instant. Exactly. Usually we have a short-term vision. Yeah. We are money-driven. Exactly. But we just walk around us. We forgot the long term. So I do believe that 90% of students who were in my situation, I had nothing, right? When I came here, I went back home after five, six years to see my parents. I had no financial means. So in that situation, if Phillips was offering me everything, I refused to go. Right. I wanted to do a PhD. I think I would pay 800 golden or something like that, nothing. But still, I wanted to do a PhD. And then I started, PhD first year published, second year published, and I started going to the international conferences. And then Intel, which is the largest company in the world when it comes to chips, approached me in one of the conferences, starting hiring me on the conference, interviewing me. Mike Rogers was the guy who was hiring to me. Right. And then I started finding a completely different world. Oh, I'm becoming so important. Is that true? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the guy, Mike Rogers, uh, approached me at one of the top international conference, talking to me, do you have interest to work? And he says, whoa, yeah. and is that a dream or a reality? This guy yes. is asking me if I want to approach Intel. Right. I was kind of, you know, kick off waking up, you know, coming from Amjel, a village without water, without electricity. And I am facing big name in, in US telling me if I'm willing to, asking me if I'm willing to work for Intel. Right. Uh, is that a dream? Is that a reality? So, so yeah, why not? It kind of, you know, you are, you are lost, right? Yeah. Overwhelmed. And, and your PhD was in this... Ongoing, can you ongoing. Us, can you give a simple explanation of what your yes. PhD was about? Yes. So the coincidence, at mm -hmm. that moment, Intel was working on, on new generations of microprocessors. Yeah. A microprocessor is the brain of a computer, right? right. So Intel was working with what we call 64-bit architecture. It was a new architecture back then, Italian right. processors. So in this generation they were putting kind of new memories. So memory is uh, a storage element in which you can put the data and get it out. So the, in the newer generations, Intel was putting memories with different ports, which means you can read simultaneously, write simultaneously. So the complexity was because you can, if you have two ports, you can use the two ports to read simultaneously yeah. or write simultaneously. So things will become complicated. And how are we gonna guarantee that the quality of these memory chips is good was a big problem because after you manufacture it, there were some problems and there was no solutions, no algorithms, which were able to discover what's inside. There were some algorithms, but in time complexity, complexity, they were exponential, which means actually it takes you one hour to test one chip. It's very expensive. Right. And the job was how to reduce one hour to milliseconds. 
like this and we tested. Yeah. And that's exactly what I did. And that was the PhD that you did? Yes, I was exactly right. the topics I was working. Right. So the coincidence was perfect. So the van der Goor, he knew exactly what, what kind of PhD you should do because that's this is what people need. That's the job of the right. professor. And you presented your PhD? I was presented, I was not done. I was not done. I was not done with the PhD yet. Right. I was right. doing a PhD right. and he was working the topic and they can right. say, whoa. I said, do you want to join us? Yeah. I told him, but I'm doing a PhD. So you, you can also go, uh, come with us uh, while yeah. doing a PhD. Yeah. Oh, so we're going to pay you so much. I said, oh, if you, I used to, uh, <laughs> yes, now we're talking, now we're talking. Yeah, yeah I can do my PhD kidding? and get paid. <laughs> I was paid 800 guldens, and then we're talking about order of magnitude, small yeah. payment. And then I decided to go, did my PhD. Sorry, it's very important. Like you're talking how things happened by coincidence and... Yeah and how you met certain people in your <coughs> life and they showed you, opened kind of doors and showed you some directions and yeah. gave you a purpose maybe of, of, of the education that you were seeking. But also you, you seem to, nowadays you speak a lot about money, as you said, we're money driven. Yes. But I think within, uh, during your uh, career, like during your path, you were more about like knowledge driven. Yeah, prove yourself. Ex That's the key term, prove yourself. Absolutely. because. Unfortunately, this, this world, uh, I will recognize you only when you make it. So you have to prove yourself first. Yeah. And be, again, believe in yourself, work hard, be disciplined, and you get there. Yeah. Maybe not tomorrow, but two days later, you're going to get there. And you, you may fail, stand up again, never give up. Actually, each failure is another experience from which we learn. Right. So anyways, I get in touch with Intel and they hired me. Yeah. So and I was doing PhD at the same time working in close topics and it started becoming very important for Intel actually. I rewrite the whole methodologies that which actually Intel is using till today. And did you do that while you were in the Netherlands? No, in Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley. Yes. So you went to California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. he basically said, hey, I, I'll pay you good. Yeah, you yeah. do the research first there, yes. and come to come I, to California. I moved there. So my PhD was ongoing. Yeah. I was I was working for Intel and finishing my PhD at the same time. Right. So actually, and then I was flying from from Amsterdam to San Francisco airport, you know, on the plane, say, whoa, I, I'm, I'm going to Intel. <laughs> uh, can I make it really? You know, I'm, I'm again, I'm a top guys in the world. I, I had a lot of that, right? So, right. But I was saying, yeah, but this guy would never approach me if I don't think I will, I will make it, right? So it, 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 it's a big change in your life, right? From, of course. From being a cleaner. Low, a cleaner, and then you are sitting in Silicon Valley, you know, right. talking to the big guys. But anyways, in one of the meetings when I arrived there, so, I was claiming some things. I remember I would never get, forget a moment. So I was given a presentation. One of the things I learned of being an activist is to stand up in the front of the audience, explain my idea, right. being confident. That's something that I learned from Morocco and from the student movement. Right. Even though they fired me, they learned, I learned a lot in that because it's also an, a skill you need. Public speaking, of course. Exactly. Yeah. So I was given a presentation. I was making claims, say, if we do this, we're going to improve the quality so much. I never remember one guy called Mike Tripp stand up, <laughs> told guy, say, whoa, whoa, hold on, this is yeah. too much what you are claiming. You know, a small guy, you know, coming from Morocco, from Nador, I thought as if, you know, arguing against this guy would be difficult. I say, okay, I say, yeah, that's what I think, but maybe you are right. Mm -hmm. yeah. But then we started implementing things, putting them in chips, in real chips, right. measuring things. And what they claimed was actually less. The results show that we realized by far much better improvement mm. than I wanted in the message. Oh, Mike, what I claimed is true, man. <laughs> I was very happy. And then I get yeah. an award from Intel. 
They give me some additional payments. They say, guy, very good. We can give you two weeks vacation. Go home or enjoy your life. <laughs> right. It was kind of recognition. Anyway, so w- while working there, then he moved back, finished my PhD, right? And after my PhD, I, I won an award. It's kind of an, what they call kind of best dissertation award. Uh, yes. Best, uh, and I get the award. I was actually uh, in Morocco on vacation, sitting with my parents, with my mother and sisters and having a lunch. And I get a call. And they pick up the phone and the call says, hey, you are the winner of the uh, Outstanding Dissertation Award. You have to fly very soon because you're going to receive it in mention. So that was actually a big change in my life. Mm-hmm. And I think what, what made me win this prize is I did fundamental research. I went to Intel. I did the real stuff. And I did not publish everything I did with Intel, but I published some of the work. And it was a fundamental theory that has a large impact in the industry. And that's unique. So I won that prize. And then it became a yeah, visible name in my field. Right. And this so, was in 2001, right? Uh, yeah, this yeah, was in I, 2001. Yes, exactly. So you were... The uh, prize I got it in 2003, I think. Okay. Yeah. Okay. If, if right. it, maybe 2002, one, yeah, three, yeah, yeah. around this time. Yeah. And you were around 30 years old at the time. Yes. When you won this, uh, exactly. this prize. And yeah. you, they flew you out to München, you got the awards. Yes. And this was basically a big game changer. Absolutely. Because a turning you, point. Yeah, it's, a turning point good. because you became a name. Everybody knows me now. Right. Uh, actually, it does, it's the last conference we had in Europe, more than a thousand attendees. So all the big players are there. So everybody knows me. And then I had offer from everywhere, from Japan, from whatever I, had, I can choose, right? I went back to Intel again. So I was working mm-hmm. in Intel. So very important experience. I learned a lot. And then at some time, I decided to leave Intel. Because one of the reasons it was far from home, yeah, uh, because... Uh, actually, if you are if you are working for a U.S. company, yes. you get in the beginning about two weeks vacation, only two weeks vacation. So, you know, if you're going to fly to Morocco, see my parents, it's almost impossible. Yeah. So after, I think, uh, six years, something like this, I moved to France. I was working in France, in Grenoble, in a research center. You went to Philips. Yes, Philips. Yeah. There was a kind of an alliance between three companies. It was Philips, ST Microelectronics, which is a French-Italian company, and Frisker, which is a U.S. company. So I was working in a research center alliance. I dislike France with all the respect. And then I decided to move back to the Netherlands. I was working for Philips, Nijmegen. And then at a certain time, the university approached me. He told me, Saeed, do you want to join us? Actually, here is it's something very important. After finishing my PhD, one of the professors, Stamatis Faciliatis, who passed away, unfortunately, he did everything he could to convince me to stay in the university. I said, no, 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 no. I'm going to go back to Intel. He told me, you know what? He's a guy with a vision. You leave, you go wherever you want. I would not l- remove your name from the department because I am quite, quite confident one day you will come back. And this was before you went to Intel. Yes. Right? Before you went to California. Uh, exactly. Yeah, after yeah. my PhD. He said you'll come back. Yes. Yeah. To do. And indeed, I never, ever removed my name from the department. So I went to Intel. I went to France. I went to Nijmegen. And then I become sick. Somebody who's alive become sick. I had a cancer. So I called me, Said, uh, we have an open position. Uh, can you apply? I told them, yes, I want to apply. So there was a committee, I applied, and one of the names who was in the committee, uh, Kiss Beinecker, close friend now, uh, he asked me a very, very interesting question. To me, Said, you, you are leaving the company, you are making so much money, you have a permanent position, you are coming to the university, you're going to get less salary, you are 
be, you will be employed on a temporary position because you have to prove yourself in three years, otherwise we're going to kick you out. Are you aware about what you are doing? I tell them, yes, I'm aware about that. I tell them, I don't, I don't, money for me, I pass the chapter of money. I would like to do something that I like, pleasure in my life. If you tell me, guys, what are the requirements, I don't need five years. I want to do it. Once I'm done, I'm going to become a tenured and I become an associate professor. Just tell me what are the requirements. I'm happy to do it. I don't care about money because some things in life are very important. If you are coming from a poor family, right? First, you want to prove yourself. Once you prove yourself, because you never own the car, you never, you know, you're going to make some money. You make the money and then everything becomes now added value. Once you pass a chapter of money, materialism, right? Mm. You become yourself. And then you will be looking mainly to help people, to help your country, your community, and also do something that inspires you. I am staying in my office till 10 p.m. in the night. No problem. I am not doing it because I'm getting paid, no. To I'm have an impact. It. I like it, I have an impact, I'm educating people, I'm delivering patients, etc. So anyways, I moved to the university and then a new phase in my life started. Yeah. And in 10 years, I was able to start from assistant professor to associate to full professor to yeah. chair of the section. Yeah. And now I have about 13, 14 PhDs. And now you're, yeah, and you're mashallah chair professor. You're yeah, and the head of computer engineering. And well. the head of computer engineering at the TU Delft. And you're only uh, the only chair professor with a Moroccan background in the Netherlands. Yes, that's right. And I did some research. We have over 4,000 uh, chair professors in the Netherlands, yeah. of which uh, one chair professor with Moroccan uh, background. Yes. And we know that the Moroccan community in the Netherlands is the biggest Muslim community. That's right. Uh, or the biggest ethnic community within the Muslim community. What does, what does that tell you? So to be honest with you, uh, I, was not aware, I was not aware about it. So when I was told that I am the first chair professor with the Moroccan's origin, I was kind of surprised. Uh, to me, it's also a shame, to be honest. Mm. So just a couple of weeks or months ago, we celebrated 50 years immigration, Moroccan right. immigration. And this tells us that we have a lot of work to do. Um, education, innovation, startups, is the mean to grow, is the mean to have an impact, is the mean to either help our country of residence or our country of origin. So I think we have a lot of homework to do there. Yeah, and I think one of the things that prevents people from going into that direction is they're still busy with um, the, the, the reaching a point where you're financially stable, able, and you can move on to the next phase. Um, and when we look at the social economics, uh, um, yeah, reality of a lot of um, non-Western ethnic communities in the Netherlands, we see that the social economic status uh, is quite bad, and that a lot of young people um, struggle with this, and it makes them vulnerable. Exactly, like we can speak even sometimes about an identity crisis that a lot of these students with an immigrant background. They cannot identify themselves within the Dutch community. They cannot identify themselves with their, their own identity. And they get lost in this type of um, integration procedure where they don't, they lose themselves and they don't accomplish what they were looking for. And from what you told us, you, you said you, you had that phase when you, you were looking to make money, which where he, as human beings, we, yes. we want all, all of us yes, that financial stability, but also sometimes the fact that you have that background, that immigrant background, it stays as a tag 
on you and it can create obstacles but in the end of the day it's up to you as a person how to take that obstacle and turn it the other way around will you be able to give an advice to the youth with an immigrant background to the youth in general and yes. especially to the youth with an immigrant background how to take their heritage how to be themselves within the the, the society that they are living in yeah. without losing themselves but still accomplishing success yeah so actually to me the model is very simple i am who i am i'm saying always my hardware is moroccan i cannot change my hair or my color <laughs> hardware is 100% moroccan i cannot change it software they have different drivers they have a moroccan operation system they have an application from the netherlands you know it's a mix of everything but i cannot change myself i am who i am i always have a big question marks about these terms integrations whatever you want to call it to me it's very easy i am who i am i have my identity and my responsibility is not to be a consumer only in the society but contribute to the society i fully agree with you but it's a human being dependent i can give you hundreds of arguments while i'm failing that's one perspective but i can use these arguments as a motivation as an inspiration why should they work harder you see so when you tell yeah but it's this this country is discriminating it's hard to prove yourself I would say yes that's for me the main reason why i should perform two times more than the average to prove myself right so it, it depends on you i can again it's an, as i told you already in, uh, in the beginning an equation has always two parts it's yourself the environment right to me i would like to use any obstacle any bureaucracy as an argument as a motivation why should i prove myself and not use it as an excuse why i should fail that makes a difference so if you have two guys on the same path they will both fail in the first time this guy will stand up and continue and this guy will give up so this guy will never make it as, as simple as that right. they will try to find excuses i am sorry we know that do some and if you, again as i already mentioned any experience any failure is another lesson because you learn exactly what you should not do and what you should do so in my view we should be able to make it i am sure that this country provides us a lot of opportunities and i think we are more responsible for our achievements than the environment right. yes you may find some cases that's true that's the rule of nature you can find them in the netherlands in morocco everywhere but it should not be an excuse to clarify or to justify why i'm standing sitting all the time at home and complaining all the time right and it's a really interesting point i think especially because um like you said when you have two people who want to accomplish accomplish something if one of them fails uh beforehand because he thinks that he can't achieve it he's already out of the game and i think um especially what what motivates us is we we um, rely on allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so we know at the end of the day that um when you have allah with you um anything is possible in that sense that you just put in the work and rely on allah like we can say on forehand that we can't achieve something um because the prophets um peace be upon them they had a l way more obstacles than we do at the moment and i think that's 
such a key element that you um yeah that that you have to keep in mind whenever you face a certain challenge is that when you have a law on your side then yeah what's going to 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 harm you and and there are so many factors also that we can't control like you said the environment like you stepping into that elevator and feeling like hey i'm going to press this button and i'm going to this computer department computer architecture department and talk to the boss like um all of that is planned of course yeah. like this is this is the way that allah guides you and exactly and yeah. you need to as as you pointed out you need to have that mindset of saying like i'm doing my best yeah. i'm relying on allah i'm but you don't say i'm relying on allah and you just sleep mm. yeah yeah because we have also those kind of type of characters when they say okay i'm leaving it on allah it's going to be solved we need to have that faith the idea that yes i'm going to like i'm relying on allah but also you need to work hard for it and to have that mindset well i trust also myself i believe in on 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 right. what I, this talent that allah gave me and i i believe i can make it but also work hard for it and have the self confidence and the discipline and learning how to prioritize as well yeah, exactly it's actually two points so number one as a religion it strengthens your belief in yourself yes That's right believing yourself because of you because of your belief in allah exactly right so as i already started uh, as, as already mentioned believing in yourself is a crucial component in your success without that you are out again because if you if you go everywhere right and you try to build something and you are not convinced you are not convinced that you right. can do it right you cannot convince me <laughs> so it's it's you cannot you. sell the product if and you again being, being a believer it helps you to strengthen this that's number one number two be aware that whatever you're going to do you're going to create enemies and friends i already mentioned you uh, already so prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam the so ideal so person he was able to create friends close people but also enemies right we cannot perform better than him <laughs> so don't give me an excuse yeah but mr x or x mm. or y z are against me fine they will be and they will stay there just go ahead that's a, a rule of nature yeah because yeah. you cannot control people you cannot change other people but it's you who can right. who can have control yeah. on that and if you cannot change people you can change the environment like the the atmosphere that you're in or the the place that you're working in it's not just about education i think it's also about workplaces if you, if you cannot change your colleagues you just change the situation and sure that's also comes from inside and from your own mindset yeah, yeah sure so if you allow me just to go back to that story of the sure. article yeah, yeah. so so after it was hard actually so the guy i said to that professor tamatis facilities was sick in that period so i decided to move back to delft and it was uh, kiss binacker who hired me because stamatis was sick so thank thank him very much right. we're still close friend we are flying to china every year together so i started at delft and then i started seven days later stamatis passed away so that professor told me one time you will be back in delft right seven days i started the first of april it was i think saturday 7th of april he passed away so i started in the from the scratch from zero building my team building my team building my team till they made it so on the last june i had what they call integral speech right so i invited my father my mother a lot of friends the guy who convinced me to be activist ali bilhaj i was actually 
the reason was, was, was why I was fired because right. so I was there also in, <laughs> in my integral speech. So all people who played a key role, I put them on one slide, one by one. And this was your inaugural speech as chair professor? Yes, right. yes. I think there are some movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I put all the pictures of the key people that played an important role in my life, including my parents. And I told my father in, in Berbers, because we are, uh, we are from Reef. So them, you had the dream that they would become an imam. I made it as an imam, but unfortunately I'm not teaching Quran. I'm teaching <laughs> something else, but right. it's still, it's still, it's, it's still an imam. It's <laughs> I'm still, still teaching. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so when I also mentioned yeah. all these key people who played an important role in my life, right. including this guy, so the, the, the brother of my father who convinced my father to, to, you know, to, mm. to, to let me leave the, the, the mosque and go to the primary school. So what I want to say here is in your life, there should be some moments, timing, and some people, key people that can guide you, help you to go the right direction. And this is where networking, knowing people becomes extremely important. You could be a top talent, but if you are not at the right time with the right person, your talent will be lost. Wasted. Wasted. You, you pointed a lot to this Ali Bilhaj. Let's say your, your youth comrade in, in yeah. the, the student unions, and you spoke a lot about your experience as being an activist in yeah. a student union. How do you think it, this experience to be a part of a union has shaped your your future, like the present uh, Dr. Said that we see in front of us today? How important was that experience, and um, like how important the impact of that experience and who you became today? I think it has a, it had a large impact. Just to give you an example, so when, when I started studying at Delft, right, and the first year we had we had to work in teams, eh? and and then we have to present, and most of those students they had difficulty standing up and present. Say, oh, you can do it, no problem, no problem with that, because I was trained. I was trained how to have an idea, how to convince people, how to defend my opinion. All these skills, actually, I was enrolled to train to be, to be trained. I was mastering them. Even though the first year student, who cares? I can stand, talk to people, no problem. And these skills actually, I think last year or the year before I was the teacher of the year in our, in our building. Yes. So th this is all, all the skills that you need, right? So I was first year at electrical engineering. I have no, I have no problem at all. Although I don't speak Dutch very well, neither English, but I still can stand, talk to the professors, to the students, no problem at all. Other people, they was kind old, you know, they, 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 yeah, they, they don't dare to stand up. And for me, it was close chapter. <laughs> so they've that, done that. Yeah. yeah. And also how to defend your opinion, eh? how to listen to the other, how to find the weaknesses in opinion and, and try to attack him eh, between brackets. So they, uh, we were trained to do that eh? because you learn by doing things. You can learn from the book. Yeah, but you really learn when you do things yourself. Right. So you grew up in Morocco. You lived on your own when you were 13, you were 17, you went to university, you got fired, you came to the Netherlands, you did a bachelor, master, PhD, cum laude. You went to California, you came back, you went to France for a while, Netherlands, and then you went back to the university, back to TU Delft, you became chair professor. Like we said, the first chair professor of Moroccan descent in the Netherlands, while we have over 4,000 chair professors with other descent. In, in one of your earlier interviews, you spoke about the importance of education, the importance of education uh, for a community to have a real 
impact on society. You said that it started with education, because if you are not well educated in society, you can't grow to certain positions. And by not growing to certain positions, you're always the lower class of society. Can you talk to us about your vision on the importance of education to grow your community? Yeah, I still have the same belief. I think education, science, innovation is the pillar of any society. Actually, today is not a choice. It's a must. If you want to survive, if you want to survive as a society, as a, as a country, you need to invest in education, science, innovation, technology, and so on. Moreover, actually, as a person, as an individual, if you are studied, if you are well educated, I, I don't think that it will be easy for somebody to convince you to go on the wrong path to become a criminal, to steal. So it's kind of an investment in the person. You, be, you, you, you learn how to deal with people, to deal with parents, with your wife, with your sister, with the environment. So it's kind of, it's an investment not only to build the economy, but also to have a very good society. Eh? So once you are educated, you know how to deal with your neighbor. You know how to deal with people with other religions. You respect everybody. You listen to everybody. You don't attack everybody. Right. You don't you don't touch the, the, the let's say, the, the, the people. You don't attack them and so on. So it's extremely important also to build safe, secure, and happy society. That's one part of it. The second part, you can innovate, you can change, if you, only you can, if you can use your brains, right? And economically uh, talking, I mean, think about, uh, think about the world. Who are the leading countries in the world? These who invest in education, in science, in innovation. Think about Arab countries, they have means, how much they invest? Minimum. There is no ecosystem. There is no uh, technology. Education-wise, all the universities are very low ranked worldwide. So, and the consequence is what you see. Think about the Netherlands, very small country, 13 universities, all of them are top 100 worldwide. Delft is number 18, according to Time Magazine classification. Right. It's just a small country with but, a large impact. But what and, yeah. and if you have educated people that they, who use their brains, they can innovate, they can start companies, they can start startups, etc. And you start companies, you employ people, you create added value, economical added value. So the whole dynamics and the movement in the society takes place. Moreover, today, as I already told you, yeah. to survive, you need innovation. Let's talk about any country. You, have a, you, you are facing a problem, water, I don't know, security, safety, name it, right? You need technology to face it. So technology as a mean, you know, to fight, to survive, but also as a, a mean to create the turnoff and the income for your country and therefore employ people and increase the quality of, of life of people. So to me, investing in education, science and technology has been, and it will be always, high priority because of different impacts it could have in the society. So again, if you have a society well educated, the percentage of crimi criminality would go down, obviously, right? So we will have less trouble in your country. So educating people benefits everybody. Right. And how do you think that having high educated uh, people within a community so uh, in this interview, you specifically spoke about the Moroccan community, yeah. how we can empower the Moroccan community within the Netherlands. And you said that high, having a high educated people um, yes. basically helps um, form a 
class that um, has added value to society. Yes. And by having this added value, we can change the image of ourselves. Absolutely. So um, it's a part of uh, investing in yourself. So what's the, the idea behind, yes. the yeah. philosophy behind that? So first of all, so let me make clear, this clear. This country provides us a lot of opportunities. Unless, I mean, uh, unless you don't want to make it, you stay at home. Whatever skills you have, whatever talent you have, you can make, make it. Yes, there are obstacles on the way. That's very normal, right? But if you work hard, you're going to make it. That's the starting point. And these opportunities, we don't have, we don't have them everywhere. Let's be honest about it. Second part. So a couple of weeks ago uh, or months ago, we had the celebration of 50 years immigration of Morocco and the Netherlands. And for me, it was kind of a moment to kind of do kind of a reflections where we are standing, we are missing, how where are we now after these exactly. 50 years? Yeah. My feeling, and it, I cannot claim the absolute truth, I cannot do that. My feeling is that we are not there yet. 50 years of immigration. Yes, at the individual level, we have some successful stories. We have uh, uh, lawyers, we have doctors, we have uh, engineers, we have uh, right. doctor, whatever. But collectively, I don't think we are there yet. And when I'm saying collectively, um, I'm saying that we as American community, do we have really an impact in the society? Can we collectively defend our interests or, or try to uh, get our community ahead? We hear many times that our people, our students, they, they have a hard time to find you know, internships in the companies, whatever you name it, there are many problems. That's fine, but that's very normal. But I think, again, the equation has two parts. There is the environment and there is we. And I think we have a lot to do when it comes to we. What prevents us from having a platform, national platform, with skilled people, people with impact, what prevents us from having such platform and organized platform, network of excellence that can defend our interests, talk to politicians. You know, again, I, I, I strongly believe in, in, in having a united things. Eh? One plus one is three, as I always say, instead of, of, of two. So I think when it comes to having a collective impact, eh, defending our interests, interests of our community, and also the interests of this community, of the counter of residents, we should not forget we are an integral part of the society. We have to contribute, we have to defend the interests of the society as well, but nevertheless try to promote our people and let them play a critical role and contribute to the society rather than being all the time consumers. I think there, we have a lot of work to do. At least my philosophy, I could be wrong, but yeah, at sure. least that's my philosophy. And where to start? Uh, like, how, how do you think we should start? I think, again, as I told you, my view is to have uh, a platform, a network of excellence. In my view, I don't need, I don't need a Moroccan political party with all the respect. I don't need that. Because with that political party, you are isolating yourself. I am against isolation. I am part of the society. I have Dutch friends, I have Belgian friends, I have German friends, I have no problem with that. You are a human being, you are who you are, and I am who I am, and we create something in which we can find a win-win situation. Asla, as I respect you, you respect me, I respect your belief, your religion, you speak to mine, no problem. We work together towards a better future, a better economical situation for our people, my people, your people, and people in this community and this country. That's all. So we the platform needs to, so if I, if I understood correctly, you want to say that 
the the best of the best should sit together Absolutely. and discuss kind of projects. It does not have to be political. It does no. not have to be in one create a Moroccan lobby, let's say. Absolutely. That's not the idea. But it's more about sitting together and agreeing <coughs> and how to, to, to function better within the society. Is this no. like in a more practical way? No, what I'm saying is we need a network of excellence of Moroccans, for instance, talking about Moroccans. That network of excellence has some names with a large impact, people who understand the system, they know what to do, they know how the game plays in this country, and this should set up a vision and strategies where to get from now five, 10 years, 15 years. If we have, let's say, half a million people behind us, I can easily defend the interests of this community. I can easily put an important point for this community within any political agenda of any political party in the Netherlands, because I do have people behind me. But if we are 10 of us, what impact would you have? That's number one. Number two, by having this network of excellence, you may have some people very rich, but they don't know what to do with the money. You may have some smart, innovative people. They have brilliant ideas, but they don't have the, but they don't have the capital to run. You may have some talented people in management. They know how to start up a company, but they don't have the idea. They don't have the money. So combining this effort will give you companies which have an impact, economical impact, which would employ also people. So we are leaking this kind of ecosystem that can put our talents together to create something. Again, at the individual level, we are growing, yes, but collectively, I think there is space, a huge space for improvement. Yeah. And what's interesting, so basically what you're saying is that in order, because we have a lot of discussions about the representations of Moroccans in the media, the representations of Muslims in the media. And we're speaking about the Moroccan community, but this can also be for any yeah. other ethnic community yes. within the Muslim community. Or minorities, community. yes. Or minority. But of course, the Moroccan community is the biggest uh, ethnic uh, community within the Muslim community. So it's a good example. And... Um, so you basically, we have all the discussions about how can we change the representations of Muslims in the media and Moroccans in the media. We have these discussions, we know them. And we've been having them for 50 years of immigration. Decades, so we're, yeah. we're having these yeah. discussions for a long while. And um, what I sense out of out of your, your, your vision is that in order to change, to have a real sustainable impact on the way that we are seen by others, is to have impact on society. And the best way to have impact on society is education, technology, technology innovation, and innovation. Economy. Yes. So by by investing in these in these in these skills, by um yeah, basically having providing added value to society, that is the way to resolve these discrimination, the, the way that we are being represented in the media, etc. Do I understand Absolutely. that correctly? Absolutely. Actually if we are well organized in a structured manner, and we have a sustainable impact in right. economy through startups or whatever, automatically we will employ people, automatically we will inspire our people, people from our community, automatically you force between brackets the other party to recognize you, that right. you, you become a, a game player, right. game, an important player in the community. But this is our job. I mean, again, this country provides us with a lot of opportunity. It's our problem, not the other's problem. And again, if we have this network of excellence, we have to select the right people for the right place. If any program in the Netherlands, when I talk about whatever it is, I will give you the right guy. Because I have seen many times people from our community talking about some topics 
which are not theirs. Right. If I am not an expert in my field, I'm sorry, I cannot convince you. So we, it's our job to deliver the right people on the right place, on the right time. And this is very, very important, this kind of strategic stuff, right? right. It's extremely important. And it's a long-term process because Absolutely. it does not, it does you not need happen. A vision. Yeah. So right. the first thing we need to, to start to have a core and develop a vision, because without a vision, I'm sure you're going to get lost. When, it, when I left my home, my target was to go to Amsterdam. It's not that I wake up, I will see where, should I go to Rotterdam or Utrecht, let me see. No, no, you're going to get lost on the way. But if you have a clear vision where you're going to get, and then the question would be, what is the best strategy to get there? Should I take my car? Should I take the trains? Should I have somebody drive me there? I have to find what is the most efficient strategy to implement to get there. Right. But we need a vision and a vision because then we have a reference, a baseline. And then we can measure after three years, we are there or not, what we miss, we can evaluate, we can reflect, what are our weaknesses, how we can modify, how we can change, how we can improve to get there. But again, we need a clear vision. And I think uh, exactly what you're pointing out, it's, it's really important to set the leadership, Absolutely. set role models and start really early, not just wait till high school, but show young kids that, look, there are 45 years old or 30 years old uh, people who made it and they had less opportunities, they had uh, less um, means, right. and probably you had the percentage of failure more than success itself. You mentioned the key term, leadership. That's a key term also. In, in addition to believing in yourself, you need leadership. You need people who can really lead our community. And leadership to me is not using the community for your success. It's sacrificing your life to help your community. And there also we need really to improve. We need really leadership who can set up a vision for a long term, think about strategies, efficient manners to get there. And again, the way you understand people different, that people understand leaderships in different manners. To me, again, leadership is how can, if I want to be a leader of my community, how can I spend my time, invest my time, my energy, etc., to help and find the way for my community, rather than using my community to find a way for myself. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're um, doing right now exactly? What's the work that you are pursuing? Well, obviously, yes. Um, so actually, at the moment, I am the head of computer engineering. So within our uh, section, if you can call it, we are working on different topics. So there are topics in which I am directly involved and topics in which my colleagues are involved. Uh, we do think about big data analytics, quantum computing, emerging computer paradigms, security, uh, reliability, etc. But I will try to explain to you what I am, topics in, what, in which I am directly involved. Sure. Uh, number one, I'm working on what we call emerging computing paradigms, which means actually new computers for the futures, right? So if you take a look at today's computers, probably you know what is multi-core, dual-core, etc. You heard about that, okay? So in the past, so in 1971, when the first uh, small processor showed up, so the technology was, you know, improving, evolving, improving, improving till around 2004, five, when Intel, because Intel was the leader, still actually, they were making a single chip with a single processor. A processor is just, let's say, the heart or the brain of the computer. Then because this processor had to do more and more and more at high speed, they become hot, right? If you have seen over the history, if you open the PC, the chips were becoming smaller and the coding were becoming larger and larger and larger. Have you seen that? Yes. So the, the, the more new 
technology, the smaller the chip and the larger the colon, right? Right. So, and at certain time we had a problem with the colon with the heat. If Intel will sustain the same technology, we'll end in, you know, like you have a smartphone or a computer, it'll be calling, you know, coming with you for chips. So it cannot work practically. Then they move to what? Instead of having one processor, let's have two processors, four processors, eight processors. That's what you call multi-core, right? But okay, so then we have, we are trying to increase the computing power. We do a lot of right. computing, especially now we are dealing with a lot of data, how to analyze a lot of data, big data is called. But today, it seems then if you add more cores, a naive conclusion will be, we're going to increase the computing power. But to program these cores to extract maximal computing power is extremely difficult. Yeah, that's number one. Number two, technology is becoming smaller and smaller, but it's, it's ending. It's becoming economically not viable to scale down. Global Foundries, which is one of the big companies in the world in making chips, they already announced they will stop at seven nanometer technology. They say we can scale, but economically is not viable. So we have a big problem. We need new architectures. If you go inside the, uh, the, the computing systems and you see, okay, where is this heating coming from? Why do we consume a lot of power? Why we have a lot of, so the, the computing power is saturating. There are major problems. If we consider this big data, so let's say if you go inside the processor on a computer, simplistic model, you have what we call a processing unit, something that does computing, and we have a memory where we store our data. If we're going to do E plus B, I have to move E from the storage to the processing unit, which does the calculation, and then go back, move B, and then let the processing unit do E plus B, and then bring it back, right? So this communication is the killer. And you have to do, if you have to do with a lot of data coming back and forth, this communication is, is consuming 70% or 80% of the energy. Yeah, and this is the communication between- The, the CPU and the memory, the and computing unit and the memory. Right, so uh, like you said, we started with just one processor, one yes. chip, and now we have big data. So yeah. we are asking a lot of these processors. Yes. And the communication between the is CPU the and the- the memory. The memory. Is this is taking a lot of um, traffic. Exactly. There's a lot of traffic between that. And because of all the big data we have, they can't so manage the traffic that will go up. The yeah. traffic will go up. Yeah. So fundamentally, either you have a single core, one process or multi-core. Right. Fundamentally, how they are built is the same. You have the CPU, the processing unit, and the memory separately. And that communication, it's like you, let's say you are here, we go to Rotterdam, we yeah, bring yeah. something and yeah, we yeah. go back and the bandwidth, the highway, yeah. how many uh, how many cars are yeah. going to use, the bandwidth is limited. So it's basically every time I need to deliver a message, I need to run to, exactly. to my neighbor and then get back, back, back with the message and run to my neighbor and get back. That's, That's taking too long. Too long, especially yeah. if, the, if the data goes up. One yeah. of the th things we are working on, what about instead of moving the data to the CPU, to the processing unit, can we do computing within the memory. I don't yeah. need to move the data. You know what? Do A plus B there and just give me the result. Do some complex calculation in the memory. We call it computation in memory. We do the yeah. computing within memory. So that's one of the projects I am leading at the European so, level at so, the moment. So to make a silly example, so uh, I have a letter yeah. and I need to give it to my neighbor. And um, this letter is in another language and I need to run to my neighbor, get it translated and then get back and yes. then run to my neighbor and get back. And what you're saying is why not learn the language, do it in one place. So you don't need to move between the CPU exactly. and the memory all exactly. the time. If you are able 
to do computation within the storage. Huh? Like yeah. you do all the operation in Rotterdam and then you give me only the final result here in Amsterdam rather than going back and forth, back and forth. We say, do everything there, just give me the final result. You will save a lot of communication. So you save energy and you will speed up. And if we save energy, it's a big thing for the consumer. If you, if you increase the computing power, is a big thing for the consumer. So you can do a lot of, of computing in a shorter time. And again, especially with increasing data we have to deal with. So this is kind of emerging computing. We call it computation memory. So I am leading with one of the European projects in that. And I have another colleague probably you heard about quantum computer. Yeah. So Delft is one of the leading in the world. So my faculty and, and my department is also partially involved there, developing quantum computer architecture, collaborating closely with the physics, with QTIC Institute, maybe you heard about it. And quantum in Europe and in the Netherlands specifically is also a very high topic, but I'm not involved in, in, in quantum. So number one is computing, computation memory. The second one, let's say, make it too easy for you. That's the stability and reliability. If you're gonna, if you're gonna buy a, a, a smartphone, right? You get a guarantee, right? For how many years? Two years. Two years, yeah. Okay. If you're gonna buy a car, the car is supposed to survive for 15, 20 years, right? But the smartphone is supposed to survive only for two years, right? That guarantee has a large impact on the price of the chip you have inside. Let's say they have the same chip, a memory uh, chip, whatever. They, they are doing the same function. They are doing the same function. This guy, to make life easy, they are doing A plus B, and this guy is doing the same thing. But the price of that chip we're gonna put in the smartphone is by far much cheaper than the one we're gonna put in a car. And the one we're gonna put in the kids' toys is even though much cheaper because the kids' toys, the lifetime, it depends on the kid apparently. So uh, one of right. my nephews had in Amsterdam, whatever toy you're gonna buy for him, the lifetime will not exceed uh, <laughs> 30 minutes, uh, that's over. <laughs> but um, so again, so the price is driven by the lifetime and that lifetime is strongly related to quality and reliability. So how we can develop, and reliability means the lifetime of a chip. Yeah. So, so how we can develop smart solutions to say, you know what, for this application, I can develop this design, this technology, this solution that will survive for one year or two years for this application and will be cheap. But for this application, aerospace, for instance, to give you an example, you are flying from Amsterdam to San Francisco. On the Pacific, you are, I don't know, 10 kilometers high, minus 50 degrees outside. What manipulates everything in the plane is technology. So these chips should be 100% reliable, right. no faults, no error at all. But they can allow an error in your smartphone. You are calling somebody, hey, good morning, and maybe, hey, missed something, whatever. You can afford, no problem. And in the kid's toys even more. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> but you cannot afford that. <laughs> in, in, so you see yeah. how we can guarantee the quality and keep in mind that these small pieces of silicon, we call them chips, they have billions of units called a transistor. And if one or two units is not working, nothing will work. How we can I guarantee we can test this billion units chip in milliseconds, yes. not in seconds, in milliseconds. So this is the challenge that is there right now and you are working on I'm working solving this challenge, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Making exactly. chips more reliable, more secure. High quality. So a security is another component. Security oh, okay. is another component I'm working on. So everybody knows security, how to prevent you from being hacking. Right? So we know that websites are hacked. Uh, we discovered course. all of that is fake with the Facebook leaks. Exactly. And the but personal what details. Even now, what even now, how we can guarantee your smartphone has does not have any chip, additional chip that leaks all the time the information to somebody else. Yes. That's hardware 
trojans or whatever they call it. Huh? So it's becoming important, especially with the increase of IoT. Huh? Let's say you have a, a wearable device like yeah. this one. Yeah. This wearable device, it collects the information, your health, health information. I should send it, for example, every week or every day your to iPhone. your doctor or, or, or a data center. How we can make sure that nobody will hack this information because this information can be very, 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 very valuable, right? So security is becoming extremely important. So personally, I'm working on security and in security, even though I started the company in Delft. Yep. So we have a spin-off. So I, I'm one of the co-founders. We are working on test and reliability and I'm working on computation memory. So these are three domains. I am personally strongly involved, but it's already mentioned my colleagues are doing other topics like quantum computing, for instance, like uh, 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 architectures for big data, uh, big data architectures, like how we can use today's technologies, multi-core I mentioned, different, a lot of course, how we can use this technology to accelerate algorithms and computing and solving problems related to big data. Yeah. And let's talk about security. So yes. um, what are the... Um when we uh, look ahead of us and the challenges that we face, what do you see that are um, very important security elements in our everyday day-to-day -day lives that are uh, coming under more pressure? Yeah, so security is a top confidential topic. So just recently, together with one of my colleagues, we are trying to organize a special session in a conference that will take place in Baden-Baden in Germany in May. So we are trying to invite some companies. I'm telling them, telling them can you come and give me a story about the real threats. I tell them, no, 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 so we can not talk about that. This is confidential, <laughs> see? But as a matter of fact- They need to keep the stories about security secure. Yeah, but a yeah. matter of fact, they have been- Exactly. Because it's, because it's, let's say you have, a, you, ha you have a company or you have yeah. a bank, right? You can, whatever company you have, you cannot come publicly mm -hmm. and say, you know, my company was attacked and it lost so much. It's a reputation. So we never said that. Yeah, yeah. But there are some independent rep reports from coming from US. One of the reports is saying 90% of the companies are not well, you know, uh, prepared against attack. Another report is saying yearly we are losing at least $600 billion because of attacks. So these are alarming numbers. And companies, generally speaking, they don't like to talk about it. I'm trying to get some inside information. I told you they refuse to come to the yeah. CSP. So it's a reality. If you take me, if you take me other solutions today, Traditionally, people are talking about software, you know, this antivirus. You, you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they are talking about it. So you patch, you put software layers. But recently, people discovered that's not enough. You know, putting software solutions, it's not good enough because at the end of the, the day, it's your hardware who is running, right? You have the programs, software, but the hardware, the CPU, the memory, the communication are the ones who are doing the job. If you don't guarantee that this hardware is secure, Whatever you're gonna run, this guy can leak the information. Right. So a complete solution should involve also this hardware. But companies today, most of the companies, they are not designing these chips while considering security into consideration. It's price, it costs money. And as, as long as the customers, they don't complain much, company will not change their models because putting additional features means they will lose money. Yeah. So, which, so it's a, again, but at certain time, it has to be, especially with this increase in IoT devices. Yeah, it has, everything has to be secure. Actually, we, we need what we call end-to-end -end secure solution. So basically you're saying that um, the companies are focusing on protecting the software. Yeah. 
and you're saying hardware is becoming vulnerable. Yes, so we need to invest in the security of the hardware, but- They are moving also to hardware. Right, right. but the, the consumer doesn't see the hardware behind no. the computer, so they don't care about it, so the companies don't invest in it, but exactly. they should. They should. Right. Because your assumption is your hardware is trustworthy, right? Right. So you may, may smartphone is, is, is trusted or trusted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not true. Yeah. I'm reminded of a story about um, within the, the, the criminal circuits. Yeah. Um, you had some criminals and one of them gave a uh, iPhone to one of their criminals that they wanted to set up. And they didn't know that it had a chip that recorded literally everything that he said. So th this is a, a real life example of yes. what could happen if the hardware is not yes. protected. Yes. You're just using the iPhone and you're yes. thinking, hey, this yes. is cool, yes. but in the yes. background, yes. everything is being so leaked. The yeah. breach actually, the, the, breach, the, the breach of security is way further than just having an application uh, collecting your uh, d personal data, but we can also be talking about espionage. Yes. Espion, like yes. using... Yes. In, in citizen, yes. no, we're not talking about just criminals. Yeah. We're talking yes. about normal citizens, me, you, anyone else can have our conversations exactly. recorded or our personal data, whatever it is. But, but let me, uh, you know, try to uh, give you a feeling how, how, how dangerous it could be. So, because security has different levels, right? So yeah. let's say you have, you operated your heart, right? And you have a piece of electronics there that helps you to survive. Mm. Yeah. As soon now, if I can remotely control access, it, control it, I can, I can give you a hard time immediately, mm. right? It can be fatal. But the impact is I'm killing one one person. The impact is relatively right, right. Okay, now let's move. If I can hack a bank, oh, it's becoming more dangerous because it's money. Now <laughs> let's move. If I can hack nuclear plant. Now the impact is even the worst, right? right? So and again, talking about security, in my philosophy at least. You need to involve you need to involve intelligence also in your hardware. It should end be complete end. exactly right. hardware, uh, operation systems, and right. software. It should be end to end. <coughs> and and the key is we know some attacks. Today, what you see, there is a known attack, and then we provide a solution. Yeah? There is an attack, a solution. That is not a good idea. How can I prevent my system right. from being attacked? Not only from by known attacks, but also by unknown attacks. Maybe tomorrow we have another smart guy will come with another attack. Yeah. So we have to prepare our ICT infrastructure to make sure it defends also unknown attacks. Yeah, can you give an example of where the Internet of Things, what, what that's going to look like in 30, 40 years? So what's what's oh. an everyday, day-to-day -day so, life so, going to look like for someone? So it's very hard to predict the future, right? Sure. So um, people are talking about smart everything, right? So. Uh, I can give you an easy, an easy example. Mm -hmm. okay? Assume in our body, uh, you see how important this technology becoming and how important it will be in our life. Eh? So you heard about the robots that can welcome you in a reception, how are you, so, so it's, it's replacing a human being. But other things which could have also a very important aspect, assuming that we can make everything secure. Assume, for example, you have uh, sensors in your body, right? Mm -hmm. Everywhere. And these sensors is like in a car. You have this dashboard in the car. You don't have enough oil or enough pressure in your uh, in your wheels or whatever, enough gas or whatever. Yeah. So you have this dashboard, and this dashboard actually collects the information from different sensors and puts it in front of you to have an idea, right? So assume we have something similar in a human body. You have sensors everywhere, and you have a small dashboard either here or in your I know smartphone. exactly the message that Moroccan people are going to have. 
Too much sugar, too much sugar. Too much sugar. <laughs> That's the main message on the dashboard. But yeah. This is very interesting. So yeah. there are many diseases. If we can predict them in an early stage, we can prevent. Prevent. Them. Right. You can deal with them. Right. right. Cancer is one example, right? So this will help us a lot. So you see, for example, oh, this sensor is telling me that there is something starting to become wrong. So the prediction, we say prevention, you said uh, prevention is better than recovery, something like this. Right, right, right yeah. exactly. So early prediction of diseases is something extremely useful. It's, it's, it will help people to be healthy. It will reduce the cost of healthcare. But assuming everything will be, again, history creative is very important. All right. yeah? So that's how you see. So the technology in the future will ma make our life much easier. Will hopefully increase the quality of our life. Think also about the application. We are talking about automotive uh, driving. Huh? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, autonomous driving. Autonomous yeah. driving. For blind people or yeah. Yeah, so disabled. Most probably cars in the future will become a service. You will not own a car now. So you wake up in the in the morning. So the car will take, it's automatically just standing in the, in the back seat you do your work. It will take you from A to B and then take somebody from B, C, T, C, etc. Mm -hmm. So autonomous driving is a, a strong driver now in the automotive industry. So everything will become autonomous and then the complexity of security. But if, if somebody takes takes control of your car, it will create troubles. So again, so there are many emerging technologies that, uh, and we have seen technology that has, it has been helping a human being, but also you have always bad guys that try to make use of misuse of this technology in their own, in their own path. Yes. And it will remain the case and we have as a scientists as, as, as innovators as companies to find appropriate solutions i'm reminded about a story you just told us about um you worked as a cleaner while yes. you were doing your um bachelor master phd even which you passed cum laude but because you were uh, an immigrant you were not allowed to work um officially so you had to do um yeah, work which you were not able to do at the time and you worked as a cleaner. And um, you told us about a story um, that you had before your inauguration where you invited some important people. Can you tell us this story? Oh yeah, so in the, so actually in the inaugural speech, so I invited all uh, uh, important people. And this was the inaugural speech of you being a chair professor. professor yes, right. it's kind of a celebration, yeah. big party, big celebration. So, and, and after that I invited, I invited them to a dinner, right? And I choose a, a restaurant called Twitter House, the White House, not, not the US White House, yeah, but yeah. the White House in Pinnacle. And the, the, that White House restaurant, actually, it used to be in the past a city hall, right? So when it was a city hall, I was working there as a cleaner when I was a student. But the, the city hall was sold and it was uh, you know, acquired by uh, uh, another guy, Moroccan guy, who has a chain of restaurants. And I started a very brand, you know, a very good restaurant there. And I chose to have the dinner specifically in that place, yeah, because there was a message behind. But so the, the ex-rector manifest was there, the, uh, our ambassador was there, my parents, friends, family come all around the, uh, around the world. So when we had the dinner, so big names, big, big names, names uh, yeah, yeah. Come, come to this restaurant. The guy who the hired me, I told yeah. you, Case Beinecker, who was in the committee, who hired me in Delft, was there as well. Right. Okay? Okay. So everybody was there. And then, so there are, we had people give different speeches. And at the end, they gave a speech. And you know, there is a philosophy, actually, the reason why I decided to choose this restaurant. And everybody said, oh, what's the guy? I told them, guys, my career actually started in this restaurant. Oh, what are you talking about? I told him, yes, I started as a cleaner here, 
When I was a student, I had no financial support from the Dutch government because I am a foreigner. And I had no choice. I had to work. I had, I had no permit to work. So thankful, thanks to somebody I know, I employed me. So I was working here as a cleaner. And the history changed. The seat to her was sold, acquired by this guy. The owner of the restaurant was there. His name is Aziz. See, this guy, Aziz, acquired the restaurant. He has a chain of restaurants, actually. Fratilli is called. And you see how the coincidence now? Now I am celebrating a, an important moment in my life in the same place I was doing cleaning. <laughs> I told them I know all these rooms actually around one by one. Right. So, and now life changed completely. We are celebrating, we are having a big party, we're having a, you know, excellent dinner in a place where I started there. Yeah. So it was kind oh. of very, very, uh, people were so, oh, my father was even though crying. So, oh, right. it's, uh, I never it's, thought It's quite it. inspiring though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and it's, and it's, uh, for people who don't know, chair professor is the highest function you can have within the university within an academic position. Yeah. Um, and but I can also imagine that while um, working your way up the academic ladder, that um, you don't always find people who uh, know who you are and have presumptions sure. about who you are and what you should be. Yes. Um, did you encounter any situations where um, people um, wrongly interpreted or prejudged who you were. Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, I have many, many stories. I can even write a book about it. I right. can you too, huh? You wrote one book. This could be the next book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll be the co-author. Okay. And I have enough information So I give you now. two stories. Yeah. So one time I was in a restaurant, just recently, actually. So I went to the restaurant. I was sitting there having a dinner. And then somebody comes to me and says, oh, actually, you look like that somebody I've seen. So, I don't know. And that guy was the owner of the restaurant. So I was telling this. So I think I saw somebody, there is a professor in Delft, et cetera, et cetera. But this, this is a good story. Right. Oh, I told him, yes, I know the guy. Oh, he told me, I, I want to really know him. I want to meet him at times. So, okay, I'll sit down. I'm going to get you in touch with the guy, no problem, <laughs> right? I didn't I didn't know that he is the owner of the restaurant. So right. we had a little discussion. I told him, I know the guy very well. So we're discussing and laughing. So, and when I finished the dinner, I said, okay, you know what? I can get you in touch with this guy right now, actually. <laughs> you were speaking to him in person. I did I am the one. Oh, said, oh no, this guy is an Iraqi from yeah. Iraq. I said, Unbelievable. So, you know, yeah, yeah. I said, I would pay you dinner now. <laughs> that was a good story. Yeah. But you also, know what would be also funny if you just went to the bathroom and yeah. you gave him your number and you just talked to him <laughs> like that, and then come back like this. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Some other stories when yeah. uh, you were kind, kind of prejudgment, okay? So, right. So one time, let me choose one, which story I'm going to choose. Let me do one in, in Delft, okay? So actually, last year, two years ago, right? So uh, I had to give a, a lecture. The first lecture was computer architecture and organization. So and then, um, you know, it's so usually I'm with my PhDs preparing everything, the laptops, etc. And students are standing you know, down, talking to each other. And then they come in. So it's, it's uh, a course at the debate, 100 plus right. students. So it's a lot of crowd. And then I was kind of waiting students to sit down. And then I asked them, so when you guys are uh, going to sit to start the lecture? So I want to say, we are waiting just the professor to come in. Actually, said, okay, I am the one. Can you sit down, guys? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so you asked the person, when are we going to start? And he said, we're waiting for the professor. Yeah, yeah exactly. Not knowing that you are the Absolutely professor. Not. Right, Absolutely. right. Because, you know, my shape is small. So right, uh, right, right. It's about stereotypes, actually. It's, yeah. it's the minute you walk into a room and they, the stereotype is... 
They, he's like a foreigner and he cannot be the professor. He can be yeah. the aide or whatever. Uh, but I think also he's in still, the shape, they're kind of small yeah. and uh, but also young. Yeah. I don't know. But, uh, but we can laugh about it now. But there's a lot of people who are crippled just by these incidents. So uh, how? what goes through your mind when you encounter such a situation? What you, happens? So just be yourself. I mean, be pragmatic. There are stories even the worst happened in my life. I would never get upset, never angry. I just be myself, you know, approach the guy in a very nice manner. Let him understand that I am like you. I can be a professor, I can be a scientist, I can be a manager like you, but no problem. Just get the message in an easy way. Keep your calm. Yeah, keep your calm, be pragmatic. At the end of the day, I wanna, if, if somebody attacks me, I want to explain to him in a very nice, in a constructive manner that he is wrong. I will not attack him, no. Just guide him to understand that he is wrong. And at the end of the day, my responsibility is to get the message through to his brain. Not to fight him, no. And and, and again, we have to be very, very pragmatic. It's the only way. Actually, many, many stories happen to me. Right? But anyways, I, I, I never get upset. I'm, I'm always calm, easy, and, uh, and it works perfect. No, yeah. no problem at all. Yeah. It's <laughs> good to hear. And um, if, yeah, if you could give a final advice to uh, students who are listening or watching right now, students um, with a Muslim background yeah. who are climbing up the ladder, are facing certain challenges. Uh, you faced your challenges as well, coming from Morocco and going on this whole journey. Yeah. What advice would you give sure. them? Maybe I will bring a, a proverb, and you, I think it's British or US from US. It's saying a poor man is not the one without a cent, but the one without a dream, which means actually set up a dream or a vision for yourself. That's where you start. And as you already mentioned many times, believe in yourself. You can make it like everybody else made it. I made it because I was strongly believing in yourself. So believe in yourself. Don't change your time, your, yourself every five minutes or 10 minutes. Be who you are. Yeah. And explain to the others that it's a very normal, it's very nature actually to be different. That's number one, believe in yourself and have a vision. Number two, set up strategies. Ask people around you, get lessons. People with experience can teach you what is not what you, what you cannot find in the books. I am always in touch with very senior people. To give you an example, the ex-president of Delft University, uh, Jakob Falken, he was president of Delft for two periods. He has been playing an important role in my life. I'm telling him, you are my mentor, actually. And he's still, we are still close friends. We travel to China. So learn from experienced people because they know exactly what you should not do. And that's something to prefer. Right. Number three, don't give up. Be sure you're going to fail. Einstein is saying, uh, said, who, who makes no mistakes makes nothing in life. So be aware that you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail. No problem. You learn from them, but keep your dream. Keep going ahead. Be disciplined. I already mentioned that. Without, you know, setting up priorities, being disciplined, even though if you are smart, very smart, clever, you want to lose the game. And the last one, work hard. Without working, you're going to get nothing. And don't believe that you're going to get everything to your side. You will have friends and enemies. But the fact that you have enemies means you are becoming successful. 
So just keep, keep going and going. And I am sure you're going to get there. Maybe not tomorrow, but in 10 days, well. And that will be my main message. And I'm always available for anybody, for students, for associations to give me feedback, to share my experience. Uh, if they are into talent to hire in my field at least. So feel free uh, to access me anytime. No problem. Thank you very much. Barakallahu Do you have any final words, uh, Hajar? Uh, for me personally, it's very inspiring to sit today and listen to you because I'm kind of uh, in the middle of all of what you had experienced maybe yeah. years ago. So it's it's quite an eye-opener. And I hope, especially for us as Isa, uh, usually we do podcasts in, in Dutch, few in English. But now, for me as an international student, this is counts a lot. I know a lot of my colleagues will, will be inspired by listening to you. So inshallah, this interview would be beneficial for all of us. Inshallah. And yeah, for being today with us. I would like to thank you again uh, for having me here. You're very welcome. Uh, I wish you all the best. Thank uh, you very much. I hope this uh, interview discussion will be an inspiring thing for some students who are, you know, dating themselves. Uh, uh, and I uh, wish all of you the best. Thank you very much. Thanks. Kind of close it off. Thanks for listening or watching this episode. Um, yeah, be sure to check our website, our YouTube, like, follow, do all the things, and uh, we'll see you the next time. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Shadu la ilaha illa ant. Astaghfiruka wa tubu ilaik. Assalamu alaikum.